you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 will be our launch-off point tonight. In this series on spiritual disciplines, there's been a kind of uh, logic in the order we've pursued. Uh, Robert opened after the introduction by looking at corporate worship, and then we looked at singing as a spiritual practice, uh, and Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath, connected particularly with the Sabbath day, but the principle of rest and the good gifts that God gives us in that rest, that's part of what we looked at. And then we began to make a turn towards things that we might more typically think of as spiritual practices. Last time, Andrew talked about reading the Bible And tonight, we're looking at meditation as a spiritual practice, meditating on God's Word, and and through that spiritual discipline, God takes His Word and drives it from our heads to our hearts. Uh, And so, part of what the psalmist is going to speak of is, is the blessing that comes to us as we practice this spiritual discipline. But before we read Psalm 1 together, let's ask God for His help tonight. Father, Son, Spirit, we do come this evening desiring once again to hear from your word, and especially as we come to a familiar psalm, we pray your spirit would be with us, that, Holy Spirit, you would open the eyes of our heart and give us ears to hear um, in the inner places. May the spirit be strengthened within us so that as we hear of this spiritual practice of of meditation, that that our hearts would long to practice this, um, that, that you, Spirit, would be at work moving us in this direction so that you might gain more of us. We ask that you would do this for your namesake and glory, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law, day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our culture today, people emphasize the need to practice mindfulness. You've undoubtedly heard that phrase, mindfulness. There are actually apps to help you become more mindful. Apps like Calm or Mindful or Breathe. They provide reminders and they they give you instructions for the practice of mindfulness. And, And truth be told... The idea that we need to pause and and to pay attention to what we're sensing and feeling and thinking, to breathe, to calm ourselves, all of that can be useful to us. In fact, we might call it a kind of meditation, but it's not what the Bible has in mind when it talks about meditation, when the psalmist here speaks of meditating. Um, Likewise, there are forms of Christian meditation or contemplative prayer that, that move in a, in a similar direction. Um, they encourage us to, to seize upon some phrase from the Bible, like the Jesus prayer, 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And by using that short prayer, even a portion of that short prayer, we might somehow use it as a kind of mantra to clear our minds and to focus through that phrase so that somehow we might be with God. We might contemplate him in some kind of meditative state. Now, that too may have some value, but I don't think that's what the Bible has in mind either when we talk of meditation as a spiritual practice. Rather, over and again, when the Bible calls, us, calls to us to meditate, it does so with the similar kind of language that we have here in this psalm. We meditate on who God is and what God has done as we focus our attention on the law of the Lord. In other words, meditation doesn't focus on us, nor does it demand that we clear our minds in order to focus on the divine. Rather, meditation involves a disciplined contemplation of God's word that leads us to internalize it and so respond to it. Or we, we might put it this way, meditation moves us from information reading the Bible for information, to apprehension and persuasion, and finally, to some action, whether it's praise or prayer, whether it's putting off some sin pattern or putting on some new spiritual habit. It, it very well may be that for many of us, the reason why our Bible reading doesn't seem to make much impact on us is that we've not moved from reading the Bible simply for information by way of meditating, come to see that the Bible must become more apprehension, more persuasion, and ultimately translate to action. The move from information to persuasion and action happens by way of meditation. And so meditation is a vital spiritual practice that creates space in our souls for God and brings about real change. This is the way we dwell with God. And so to help us to see that tonight, I'm, I want to range our thoughts around three points. The, the priority of meditation, the practice of it, and then finally, the profit of meditation. So priority, practice, profit. First then, the priority of meditation. And you see that priority from Psalm 1. Over against the path of folly, described in verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Over against that path of folly, the psalmist describes the way of righteousness, the way of wisdom in verse 2. And what is the way of wisdom? Blessed is the one who doesn't do these things, but offers special sacrifices, makes pilgrimage to Jerusalem, ensures that he, he offers the, the correct tithe. No, the psalmist doesn't say any of those things. No, when the psalmist speaks of the way of wisdom, the way of living skillfully in God's world before the Lord, he says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That, that word meditate there in verse 2 it comes from a Hebrew word that literally means to mutter. Perhaps the idea of meditation came from the idea that 
that one should verbally repeat the laws of God, um, the, the laws contained in the Torah in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so by verbally repeating those laws to oneself somewhat under the, one's breath, you, you, could be, you could be excused of muttering, muttering the laws of God to yourself until they became second nature. The psalmist doesn't see this kind of muttering, this kind of meditation as onerous. No, he calls it a delight. In fact, these lines are in an opposition to one another, reinforcing each other, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, to, to meditate, to, to mutter, if you will, to, to reflect, to, re, to ponder, to have active engagement. This isn't a duty. This is a delight. But we know what this looks like, this kind of meditation, this kind of muttering. You go to the mailbox, you pull out the mail, and in the mail is a letter from our favorite agency, federal agency, the IRS. You open up the letter, and they claim that you have shorted them on your tax return. And your mind immediately begins to meditate. You start muttering to yourself, that's crazy. I can't believe this is happening to me. I surely didn't make a mistake on this year's tax returns. Where did I put my tax returns? I've got to find them. Did I take that exemption or not? Did I, take that, did I file the right fund? You start meditating, don't you? Start muttering to yourself as you begin to process this. Or you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind is working on some problem, a budget shortfall at work or a personnel problem or even a, a new job opportunity. And as you lay there at 2.30 in the morning, your mind is rolling the situation over and over. You keep looking at it from different angles, different possibilities. You say, well, what if I do this? And you play that scenario out. What if I do this? And you play this scenario out. And you try not to mutter too loudly so that you don't disturb your husband and wife who's on the other side of your bed, right? You don't want to wake them up, but you're 2.30 in the morning, you're meditating. In other words, with the things that matter most to us, we meditate on them. We ponder, we reflect, we engage, we roll them over, we, we ruminate, we, we mutter. And what the psalmist is telling us here is this is what God calls us to do. But even more, this is what it's our delight to do. The, the righteous, wise person meditates. That's the priority. Second, the practice the practice of meditation. Ultimately, in meditation, we're wanting to move God's word from simply being information to being persuaded by it, to having our hearts engaged and our wills moved by God's word. As the Puritan Richard Baxter put it in his little book, this, uh, well, actually, the, the, um, it's actually a quite large book, the amended version, The Saints Everlasting Rest, um, he put it this way, as a man is not so prone to live according to the truth he knows, unless it affects him deeply, so his soul does not enjoy its sweetness unless speculation passes to affection. So get these truths from your head to your heart. Well, how do we get truth from our heads to our hearts. Well, we meditate. And how do we meditate? How do we practice meditation? Here are six steps, six steps towards meditation. First, we prepare. It, it, it's going to be difficult to meditate on God's Word if you don't 
prepare to do it. And, and here I'm thinking back to what Andrew Ginn talked about last week. If you aren't reading your Bible, if you don't have a regular time or practice of reading your Bible, it's going to be hard to meditate on reading in your Bible. And so all of the things that are required for a good practice of reading the Bible would apply here. Have a regular time, have a regular place, have a regular Bible that you use for this process. Take particular scriptures as you do so and, and meditate upon them. But in order to do so, you must prepare. But second, pay attention. Certainly prepare, but as you open your Bible and you begin to read some passage to prepare to meditate on it, pay attention to it. What does it say? Are there words repeated? Is there a structure to notice? In other words, the basic things that we would do to understand a passage or interpret a passage, those are the things we need to do. If there's a structure that's important or words that are repeated, it's likely that God has something for you in those repeated words or in that structure. Pay attention to what God may be saying to you directly through that passage. Are there commands here to obey? Are there warnings here that are offered? Are there promises that are given? Pay attention. But third, ponder. And, and by ponder, I mean fix your attention on some aspect of the passage in order to ponder it. Um, for example, taking our passage here, whose delight is in the law of the Lord? So delight. Well, how do I feel when I read the Bible? Am I eager to read the Bible? Why am I eager to read the Bible? Or why am I not eager to read the Bible? Um, do I gather verses up like a greedy miser gathering up gold? What do I delight in instead? How do I respond when I delight in those things, those other things? Um, was my delight ever in God's Word? If so, what was it like? If not, or if, if, it, if it was at some point in the past but is not now, what will cause me to delight in God's Word again? Delight in the law, in the instruction, in the teaching. Do I delight in God's instruction, in God telling me how to live? Am I eager to hear my pastors instruct me in God's Word? Are there parts of God's Word that I'm less eager to learn about than other parts of God's Word? Do I cherish the promises more than the commands? Do I cherish the blessings more than the, the warnings? Do I cherish uh, the promises more than the instruction? His delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, of Yahweh? Do I see this as God's law, um, the God with whom I have to do? Do I see this as Yahweh's law, the, the, the word Yahweh here, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God? The, do I see this God as the God who pursues and delights in me? the God who's made promises to me, the God who will keep those promises. How do I see this God? Do I see him as a judge? Or do I see him as a, my father? Do I see his law as a burden? Or do I see it as a blessing? You see? We've just been pondering those phrases. But this is how we might do it, how we might ponder, how we might fix our attention as we meditate. So the steps, prepare, pay attention, Ponder, fourth, preach. Preach the passage to your heart. Or as Richard Baxter describes it, engage in soliloquy with your soul. Soliloquy, you remember, those of you who had 
classes in English literature where you study Shakespeare's plays and you know, Shakespeare's uh, characters inevitably would go off to the side and engage in a soliloquy with themselves and talk to themselves. That's what Baxter is encouraging us to. And so it is a soliloquy as you preach God's word to yourself might be something like this. Soul, God calls me to delight in the law of the Lord. I, I confess it's not always been the case with me or it hasn't been the case recently with me. In fact, there's been a much in me that's, that's wanted to avoid God's word, God's law. And yet, sitting right here right now, I do desire it to be the case that I delight in his law. Because the God who delights in me, who calls me his beloved child, he invites me to delight in his word and so delight in him. So I will trust that when God calls me to delight, he will meet me here um, to instruct me, to conform me to Christ's image, to grow me in grace, and so increase my delight in him as I delight in his word. Lord, make it so. You see, that's how it works. It may be that if you, as you preach or you soliloquize with yourself, you may decide to, to journal that, to write that down, which is fine. The point here, though, is to go from information and reflection to application to your own heart and life. You preach God's word to yourself. So, Prepare, pay attention, ponder, preach. Fifth, pray. Having paid attention and pondered and preached, take that and talk to God. Pray your thoughts back to him. Confess the ways that you have failed. Ask for help to reform. Beg him of strength to change and faith to believe and will to engage. Praise him for his goodness and grace, for being a father who delights in us for inviting us into communion with him around his word, for promising blessing to us in this relationship. Pray it back to God. And then finally, put it to work. Is there some sin to put off? Well, then put it off. Is there some new work of obedience to do? Then do it. Put, put this to action. Purpose a new pathway of obedience as a result of your time meditating upon God's word. Don't be like the man the Apostle James describes who looks in the mirror of God's word and then goes away unchanged. Rather, the result of meditation should be some change, however small and slight it might be. So this is the practice of meditation. Prepare, pay attention, ponder, preach, pray, and put it to work. But beware, your heart does not want you to meditate. It is, your heart is more than content to let you read the Bible, to let the words skim past your eyes, to let you check the box in your Bible reading plan, and to go merely on your way unchanged. Your heart's happy for you to do that. Just like your heart is more than happy to let you go to church and to sing your hymns with, with half or three quarters of your mind, to hear and not listen to the sermon, and let you merely go on your way unchanged. Why? Well, because the Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, your heart will lie to you. It lies to you all the time, because your heart doesn't want to change. The Holy Spirit dwelling within you, he wants to change you. He's urging you to meditate on God's word, he, he's urging you to have your heart engaged. He wants you to experience real change. But your heart, 
Your heart wants to walk with the wicked and stand with the sinners and sit with the scoffers. That's what your heart wants. But if you're here tonight and you're hearing the Spirit's call to you, even in just what we talked about briefly, the need to take God's word from information to persuasion to change, to meditate upon God's word, and you, you're, you're, the voice in your head saying, I want to do that. I, I, I think I'm going to try that. That's something I, I think I want to do. Listen, there's real profit for you. Real profit that comes by way of meditation. That's what's pictured in verse 3. The, the psalmist having talked about the way of the wicked and the way of the wise, he, he tells you the results of the way of wisdom. That person, he says, is like a tree. Which person? Well, the person who meditates. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This is the picture of profit, of benefit, that comes to the one who engages in the spiritual practice of meditation. William Graham Scroggy was a commentator of a previous generation, but he notes uh, there are six blessings that meditation brings to us here in verse 3. Meditation brings vitality. We're like a tree, a living tree, not, not a dead tree like some of the trees in our yard after the, that horrible uh, freeze that we had last November and shriveled them all up. No, this, this tree that's planted by streams of water is a, a vibrant living tree. There's vitality, spiritual vitality. There's also security. The tree is planted. It's planted. It's anchored down by these streams of water. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a piece of driftwood uh, uh, rushing down the river. No, this tree has, is secure. It's fixed. It's stable, planted. But it, third, there's capacity. This tree is by streams of water. It's able to feed and to drink from these streams of water and to take in what the water offers. There's capacity here. Fourth, there's fertility. It brings forth it yields its fruit in season. The, the tree is fruitful. There's, there's fertility. There's, there's proof in the pudding, if you will. The value of, of meditation is seen in the, in the fruitfulness of this life. There's propriety. The fruit is yielded in season. It's not, it's not out of season. You know what impropriety looks like. It's something that might be well said, but said at the wrong season or offered at the wrong time. But for the one who meditates upon God's word, one of the benefits is that, that there's propriety there. The fruitfulness comes in season. And then finally, prosperity. Whatever he does, prospers. Prosperity. So six, six benefits or, or evidence of profit that come by way of meditation. Vitality, security, capacity, fertility, propriety, prosperity. To be got this kind of disciple of Jesus... To know that whatever befalls me, I might be stable and fruitful. I might have capacity and demonstrate propriety in the last day to stand among God's people. As he says at the end in verse 6, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Of course, when we meditate on God's word, what we find is we're ultimately meditating upon the God of this word. We're meditating on the one who's come to us in Jesus Christ. Because in the end, his word tells us of Jesus, the one who's altogether lovely, 
the one who is the wondrous mystery, the one who offered, us, offered himself for us all, but comes again and again and again to woo us and to win us to himself. And in the end, what we find is that as we meditate, as we take the Bible and we meditate upon it, the, God's word goes from information to persuasion, yes, but ultimately it's persuasion about this person who we come to meet in the pages of this book. Persuasion that Jesus is as good as he appears to be, that we can trust him, that we can rest in him, that we might have, through meditating on his word, a real, vital, continued relationship with him. And isn't that what we really want? Isn't it? This practice of meditation is the means by which God gets more space in our souls so that we might be drawn into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we hear of this practice of meditation, of taking your word and, and having you use this means by which your word moves from our heads to our hearts. And for some of us, we've long practiced this. For others of us, this is new information. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, you would be at work in our hearts. And then someone's heart tonight, you'd be saying, you need to do this. Tomorrow, when you open up your Bible, let's, let's do this. Let's practice this. Let's ponder. Let's, let's preach your, my word to your heart. Lord, to pray it back to you. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in this way. Because, Lord, this is the means you've given. This is the practice that you've given that will actually grant us our heart's delight, namely yourself. We bless you for it and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's conclude.